As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that podcast growling? Shout him. It's Dainer and Jay. All right, welcome to the latest episode of Hear That Podcast. Growling, presented by Visa Network, working for everyone. Paul Ender Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you. Our series rolls on here, and uh, our second edition, we did talk to Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan last week and this week uh we are bringing in Bengals quarterbacks coach Dan Pitcher and Bengals football data analyst Sam Francis uh a unique combination of of people that have been influential and, and I will unequivocally say this um two of the brightest rising stars mm-hmm. in this organization I think you will see both of these people prominent across the NFL, if not in Cincinnati, um, going forward. And and I think you'll know why after you get to listen to this podcast. This um this was a pleasure to to chat with these guys. Yeah, a couple things about this, about how young and and brilliant and, and quickly rising these guys are. First of all, you'll hear Sam first interned with the Bills, but he comes to the Bengals as a 23-year-old as their football data analyst. Pitch was in that role the year before, and this almost never happens. The Bengals let Alex Van Pelt leave for a promotion within the division. He went from quarterbacks coach here to offensive coordinator in Cleveland because you, you never see that happen in division. But they were so high on Dan Pitcher that they were they were willing to let Alex walk away. Um, I, I think that really speaks to to how good Dan is at his job and and how much he's even grown since that time uh when that made when that change was made before the 2020 season. Yeah, pitch only 35 years old and mm-hmm. uh and has done a lot in a lot of different areas and we'll talk about that but really, you know, one of the most fascinating aspects is I mean, being on the ground floor of essentially starting with Zach Taylor and the staff of creating the 
what is Bengals analytics going to be? What are is Bengals situational game management going to look like? And the trial and error process of figuring that out creates a lot of stories and uh, a lot of fun situations. I just, I'm really excited about this one. Now, people that listen to this podcast know I could sit and talk about the analytics side of the game uh, all day. And uh, I, I find this all totally fascinating. And these two guys are really at the centerpiece of a lot of the Bengals, as well as, you know, only the face of the franchise, Joe Burrow being the, the guy that he coaches in his position with with Dan Pitcher. And uh, and uh, again, I hope you uh, watch on the YouTube channel, our new YouTube channel. If you, if you get a chance to subscribe because more visual fun uh, that we will be uh, having with, <laughs> with these two guys as we go through the process of of digging through the archives uh, a little bit. So please go subscribe to us on YouTube if you get a chance to, to watch all of this stuff. So anyway, without further ado, let's, uh, let's, let's kick it off with Dan Pitcher and Sam Francis. I'm going to start by, with introductions. Dan Pitcher, Bengals quarterbacks coach now, um, previously assistant QB and uh, in charge of game management back in 2019, is, is with me. Uh, Dan, what's going on, man? Not much, guys. Happy to be here and uh, have a little conversation with you. Yeah, man. And now, and then also, I have Sam Francis here with us, Bengals uh, football data analyst, uh, who you've been here with the Bengals since March of 2019, and you kind of took over the game management role uh, from pitch when pitch moved over to the quarterbacks coach, but you guys were together in that. So really you guys have kind of been intertwined in that, uh, for different periods of time and had to kind of work together that way. But Sam, what's going on? Not much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This is really cool. Um, you guys are, are both, you know, young members of this organization that have, have done a lot to help kind of turn it over here as Zach came in a few years ago. Um, I'm I'm just curious, you know, what it's like to come in in the very beginning in 2019 and sit down with a new coach. This is your new job, Sam. Dan, you're taking on this game management role thing for the first time. It seems to me you guys were kind of all on the ground floor of how do we want to do this? And I'm curious, just, you know, Dan, you could start what that was like, or maybe it wasn't that, um, that groundbreaking, but what, what were those first months and, and like trying to build that thing from scratch with, with Zach and everybody else? Yeah, it was, it was a fun process. You know, you kind of talked about it. So Zach, Zach's hired and, and, you know, obviously I'm, you know, thankful I get the opportunity to, to hang on from Marvin's staff. And in one of my first discussions with Zach, he kind of outlined his idea for, you know, what my role would be. And, and a large part of that was going to be this, this game management, situational management, um, things that, that he had done in different stops along the way. And for me, it was, it was really exciting because it was something that uh, I could make my own, uh, something I could t- really take ownership of. And and gave me something that I, now I can I can really be the face of in front of our our players and our coaches, and you know so for him to give me that very early on in the process really without having much of an established relationship yet was was a big sign of trust, and so I really kind of hit the ground running with it and spent a lot of time doing it, um, and you know part of that process was me realizing just how much work it is in that role. Um, and 
and I very early on brought Sam into that process. And so, you know, it, we can, we can talk for hours on, on everything that's involved in it. Um, but you know, it's everything from, you know, really the, the, the technical machine of the analytics, which is the code and the, the, uh, the formulas and the algorithms that Sam is so well versed in. And then it's how do we take that stuff and actually apply it to football and teaching our players and then making decisions in game. And I had to learn all that kind of on the fly. Um, and, and it was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. And Sam was a, a major resource for me that first year. What was that like for you, Sam? Because maybe the, the number that I'm most interested in is it's a young staff, but still, what were you, 23 when you came on? Yeah, when I started, I was 23, turned 24 so, quickly after that. I mean, you you had you had interned with the Bills and you were kind of Patriots adjacent for the Kraft Foundation. Yeah. But I mean, was there an intimidation factor coming in that young and working for a professional team? Um, I don't think the age thing came into it too much. I think it was more just, hey, we're we're sort of building this thing from the ground up, right? So it's 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 a little intimidating from that standpoint, but just with all the support and the buy-in that we got from around um, around the staff, around the organization from top to bottom, they sort of gave me the freedom to make it my own. And I think it was sort of the perfect onboarding process for me, showing that I can be productive and helpful uh, working with pitch on this stuff because it was it is a a very I don't know visible role on game day and throughout and throughout the team. Um, so I think that was sort of a perfect onboarding process for me to get, to get trust, not only from pitch, but from everyone else on staff, if they see that, Hey, he can be effective in doing that. It kind of pours over into to things that they'll ask me to do. How much were you bringing in? Are, are you guys bringing in new ideas and new stuff to that? Or is that like, let's just figure out what works best for us. Or I mean, cause the, the data dumps were kind of new at that point. Right. Uh, all that stuff was still kind of coming on in the league. You know, we've seen it now, obviously, in the last two years with the aggression on fourth down and a lot of the analytic driven uh, game management. But it was still kind of on the front edge of it actually showing up a lot on Sundays. It was in the conversation a lot. But at that point, were you guys still was there a lot of trial and error involved in trying to figure out, you know, where, where you guys land on the spectrum a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I'll speak to that first. So definitely it was trial and error, right? So you have the you have the data element and you have the, you know, the the win probabilities and the expected points added and all those different numbers that kind of help you build these charts that help you make these decisions. But then for me, the biggest said thing was, all right, let's actually sit down and let's watch NFL football games and let's cut out every single week, all these different situations we're talking about, two minute and a half, two minute end of game, four minute, um, you know, just the different different times in the game where the clock becomes super critical, timeouts are critical. And and Sam and I literally would sit in my office and for, you know, a couple hours every day, we would take a different section and we would just watch NFL football games and we would try to apply our process in real time to the TV copy of these games. And then if we got to a point where we, Hit a, hit, a, hit a road bump and it was like, okay, our theory that we're working on would tell us to do this, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem right. Okay. Let's talk through that. All right. Maybe there's a, maybe there's an exception here. Maybe there's some, maybe there's something where we need to tweak what, the rule that we're working on and change it a little bit because of this specific situation. So there's that real world element of you have actually, for me, it was, you got to watch games over and over and over again and put yourself in that, in that chair where you got to make those decisions to find out what works for because there are some things where the numbers 
yeah. would tell you to do something. And, you know, it, it, it gives you a queasy feeling in your stomach. Like, I don't know. I just don't know. Like, I don't know if this is the right call, but um, you know, and, and that those are the, there's all those other factors that, that ultimately Zach, you know, factors in when, when Sam makes his recommendation or I made my recommendation in 2019, but it was that process of watching, I don't, I don't know, Sam, we probably watched every single game in the NFL that year, right? Yeah. I was, I mean, at, at this point I've seen the end of half and end of game for every game going back to 2017. <laughs> it's every challenge, every time out, all that. Did you have a the, the queasy? Is aren't, isn't your job to take the queasy out? Like you know what I mean to be able yeah. to say okay, like we're taking the emotion out of it, right? The 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 old school, uh, which in a lot of people it's an, it's there's an old school queasiness. It's just saying like look the book creating the book a little bit the Bengals book, but right. creating the Bengals version of the book, right, Sam? Yeah, I think the the lack of the queasiness comes just from we've talked about this as a staff. We've gone through all these situations, pitch and I like many, many, many times. And so I think having communicated as much as you can going into the game sort of takes that out of it. It's not that the, when it comes up in the game, Zach and I are trying to have this conversation for the first time. It's like, hey, here's what we should do, right? It's we've talked through these situations, we've watched them together, and we've gone through that uh, so many times that, that it's really just communicating to him like, hey, remember this, this is the situation we're in, this is what we do. And it's it ends there. Um and I think one of the things, and Pitch brought it up, is the trial and error portion of it is really, to me, was the communication part of it. Yeah. I think a lot of people, I don't know, when they think about these these decisions, it's like, oh, like you should just have it charted out. But then you realize that these decisions need to be identified and communicated in five to ten seconds, probably less than that. And so to pull out a chart, reference it, identify, like, all right, this is what we should do, and then communicate that, like, that, that sometimes there's just not time for that. These situations jump up on you and you got to be ready for them. So you've got to have watched them, I don't know, as many times as you possibly can, as many times as it's happened throughout the league, and then have communicated and talked about it in advance so that, that when the time co- does come, you can you can get that point across in five seconds or less. How many times have you been told to shut up on the headset? A couple. <laughs> I've told them a couple times that I'm not even the guy making the call. So. <laughs> it's never personal. I'm just roll with it. Four, 40 seconds at a time. Every play clock's a, a new life. Yeah, I know. I want to go through the numbers. Okay. So <laughs> so the 40-second clock starts over. What is your zone? Right? So, like, Sam, what is your zone to chime in with something that you have on your mind? Like, is what where where on the play clock is or where in the moment is that? Uh, it depends on what you're communicating. Um, there's certain things that that you do right right after the play call goes in, certain things you'll wait till timeouts, till TV timeouts, whatever it is. Um, but it, it you really just wait for that dead area in, in the communications going on with the play calls and the coaches and stuff like that. And if you really need to talk, some, talk to someone, you butt in and be like, hey, Zach, I need a couple seconds or whatever, whoever it is. And I, I'll give Sam a ton of credit. Like he's, you know, it is a trial and error there. And it's about no part of it. The, the just as valuable as the information is when you give it, because if you're late or you're early with it, if you're early with it, the the person who needs it is not thinking about it, and it's probably going to go in one ear out the other. If you're late with it, then it's not going to inform the decision with enough time. And so it's about finding those. Okay, hey, maybe the second down play call just came in, or maybe the first down play call just came in, and now maybe Sam chimes in with, hey, uh, you know, anything less than two 
yards to go, we would go for it here or something. And so now that can help Zach and Callie as they're thinking through what the second and third down play calls are going to be, knowing whether or not I'm going to have fourth down here. So that's just an example of kind of that communication process. Yeah, and it's it's one thing that I didn't – I don't know, I would have never anticipated really, um, but watching Pitch do it for 2019 and being a part of that and helping out with the communications on on the headset in that season is not only how important it is to communicate to Zach and everyone on the offensive side, but then when, especially when it comes to the fourth down decisions, like you got to keep everyone involved. Like Darren needs to know so he doesn't send the punt team out. Um, Zach, like they, there's a lot of people on different channels of the headset that have to be aware of, of the decision that might be made. And sometimes that decision's made on second down. Sometimes it's made on going into fourth down, but everyone's got to be on the same page. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I mean, when you're when, when you're at Bates, right, Sam, and and you're th- like thinking about what your career is going to be, and you're doing breakdowns and you know a- analysis, are you thinking in a few years I will be telling a bunch of very well-to-do head coaches what <laughs> to do in a split-second spot? Like that, you probably, I maybe you did envision that being part of what your job description would be in a few years, but I can't imagine like, that. It still has to be a pretty uh, wild thing to think that that's that's where you're at, and then doing it in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it. Uh, I don't think it really hit me until. I think it was our first preseason game in 2019 at home. We sat down. I think we were playing the Colts. And I sort of sat down and took a deep breath and sort of sat back. And Brian Callahan looked at me and goes, don't be nervous. And I was just like, I'm, I swear to God, I'm not nervous. I'm just kind of trying to figure out how I got here. But uh, you sort of just take it game by game, take it day by day. And, and I don't know, just keep, keep taking, taking on the problems as they come. Did you have this in mind to, to, cause I know you're working for craft. That wasn't necessarily NFL it was the craft ownership, but yep. w- w- when you, when you started going studying math and economics was, was football the end game in your mind? Uh, not particularly. No. Um, I was approached by someone who was a father, one of the kids in my lacrosse team. And he asked uh, if I would in- be interested in speaking to the bills. And that was when Rex Ryan was leaving and Sean McDermott was coming in. Um, so they were sort of building everything from the ground up as well. And it just kind of fit, um, fit the description that, that was going on here, um, in 2019. And so I kind of threw my name in the ring and, and ended up here. It was sort of all a little bit by accident. I mean, if you think about it, you, you're in the NFL, working in the NFL younger than Dan was when he was still playing college football. It's <laughs> <laughs> a fact. Which, by the way, I would like to point out, I was told to ask you, <laughs> how many years were you in college, Dan? All right. So usually that <laughs> usually, usually let me preface that by saying usually that's an indication of some academic struggles. Right. Not the uh-huh. case at all. In my case. All right. It was my love of the game of football. That oh, yeah. Love caused me to drag out my football career into seven seasons, which I don't know. 
I'm still not quite sure how it was legal, but I trust our compliance department. <laughs> you played just be, you played seven seasons of college so football. I, I reported to seven training camps. Yeah. So <laughs> I ended up with two medical red shirts, and I I left training camp after two weeks when I transferred. So I didn't end up. I technically sat that season out. So that's how you get to seven. Cool. And I went cool. to I went to Division three. So instead of having a five year window, you have a ten semester window, and you don't have to do it consecutively so theoretically if you haven't gone to college for 10 semesters you could go back as a 50 year old and play a division three sport because it doesn't have to happen five years concurrently right. so that's now you're you, i mean you're you are uh you were a new york guy Cortland high school Cortland state in suny played you were at colgate first though right correct. yep correct and then transferred to Cortland. yep Okay, where you played quarterback, and you played quarterback from 9 to 11, correct? Yep. yep. Uh, in 11, you were a finalist for the Gagliardi Trophy, well-renowned, the, the MV best player in, in Division Three. Do, Jay, do you think we have any video of that? Oh, some, some highlights. Oh, uh, we do. We do. Cam, yeah. can you set that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, here it is. Here. How much like Joe Burrow is Dan Pitcher? Look at this. Look Even at wearing wheels. number nine. <laughs> number nine, the instant reaction taken off out of the pocket. Look, I mean, pinpoint pre- precision, processing. I mean, here's I see, here's my I see, favorite ball. I see you guys got the HD quality video. Oh, yeah. Look, they don't look. They I, didn't I'm, have I don't it know, back then. I don't know what the deal is uh, <laughs> with the Cortland video, but there's not a lot of HD being circulated from the 2011 season on the internet. I don't know. But we might, found might, that. Might not have been in the budget. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Looking good. But, I mean, you know, how much fun was that for you? I mean, yeah, granted, and we're in year seven at the, that point, but I, or whatever. But, I mean – that that had to have been still right in your hometown, playing friends, family. That had to have been one of the cooler experiences. It was. It was. It was. It was um, some of the most fun I've ever had in my life. And it was, you know, at that point in my career, I I, w- I was as successful as I was because of how much work I put in and how and really what you know was going on between my ears more so than what physically I could do. Right. I was. I was I was okay physically, but I I worked super hard at it, and um, you know I really dove in that last year and and basically treated it like I was a coach, and so you know I had a ton of success on the field, and that was just uh, confirmation for me that this is exactly what I want to do. I want to I want to coach the game, I want to teach the game, uh, I want to make this my my livelihood, um, and so thankfully I've been able to do that. But it, a lot of a lot of it was confirmed that year, and I had a lot of fun. Do you know what your stats were that year? Uh, they're pretty good. Um, uh, I don't know. I think I threw for close to 3,000 yards and 30 touchdowns, somewhere in that vicinity. Um, but I don't know exactly what they were. Yeah, so you had, you had 31 touchdowns, only five interceptions, uh, 2,700 yards, 8.6 yards per attempt, and 115.5 passer rating. So – Pretty strong there. As as analytic guys, do you guys what stat most correlates? What quarterback stat stat most correlates to winning football games? Hmm. What do you What do you think, there, pitch? I mean, that's tough. Like to identify a single statistic. Um, How close is EPA to that now? I think is it's, it getting, is it is it is it close enough? 
Yeah, I think it's one of the better ones that we have um, just because it's it's similar to yards, but there's context of how important those yards are. Um, the difficult one is when you see you get into like two minute and four minute situations and the intention of the plays doesn't necessarily become gaining as many yards or scoring touchdowns and things of that nature. Um, and you mm -hmm. can gain if there's a sort of an end of the half play and you dump it off for a screen and it goes for 50 yards, but you don't score a touchdown and the clock ends. It's no, no stat is going to perfectly encapsulate everything that a quarterback does or anything that anybody does in the field. Um, but I think EPA, it, it's, it's getting close and we're getting better at it. I think the thing for me, less about like one stat, more about just like the, the data process as a whole is, you know, we subscribe to different services and, and you get a better, um, better tools to allow you to to really incorporate that context that Sam's talking about where like not every play is the same, not every, you know, and so you get that you can look at things like, um, you know, turnover worthy plays as opposed to just interceptions or, you know, so now, Hey, the interception number might be this, but I mean, I think there was a point this last year where Joe's interception number was higher than his actual turnover worthy play, you know, so mm -hmm. you get, you kind of get that thing. And then, we, when we have it integrated in the video system, I can go in with all these different filters. And as I'm maybe analyzing college quarterbacks or, you know, looking at free agent NFL quarterbacks, you can tweak and turn. And with the click of a button, now that I have the video in front of me of all these plays and because ultimately at the end of the day, it's still about what, you, what the, what the tape looks like, but it's the data and how it's organized that lets you become a much better, um, a much more informed and a much more efficient viewer of that tape. Um, so that's, that's where that helps me more so than any one number or whatever helped me identify, uh, you know, success at that position. Yeah. I mean, isn't that it? It's, it's how quickly you can identify issues or identify trends among whether it's a guy you are coaching or something that's happening across the league. I mean, like, you know, like PFF obviously is here locally and, and they're, they have become so, so ingrained I mean, they, they would probably tell you that they bring that context with their grade. Uh, and you know, mentioned, you mentioned turnover worthy plays, or we could talk about big time throws, things like that. And, and what that ratio looks like against each other is how much to, do you use them? I mean, are they part of helping contextualize things because of all the work that, that they do in putting all those numbers together? Yeah. I think the, the raw data that they provide us is a lot, big part of the backbone of a lot of the things that, that we do from a data process. Um, I mean, the stuff that they provide, you can't really get anywhere else. And every data sort of has its own flavor. The GSIS stuff, which is the NFL provided stuff, sort of just comes um, everything you'd see online, yards, down and distance, things of that nature. You obviously get the tracking data from next gen stats that every team in the league has. And that's very granular. And people are still trying to figure out like what the best way to use that is. And then PFF sort of has the the discrete metrics that sort of are the advanced analytics that that everyone's looking at now. And it's it's really just an advanced film breakdown that they do and provide to everyone as opposed to us having to do ourselves. Linebacker is not as much of a stat position as quarterback, but we, we do have some film of no, Sam no. from <laughs> two sports Dan, star. Sam, Francis. You want to check out number 37 here with the half sack. It's, I mean, a, allegedly it happened. I, I didn't see it. <laughs> here it is there's the stone there's wall the, right in the that's middle that's the forced fumble oh, oh wow <laughs> you guys dug deep for these ones that's right that's right <laughs> all the way to youtube 
<laughs> but you, yeah, I mean, I, you played. I mean, you, you you played football. You played lacrosse. Oh, did you? Were you a better lacrosse player? Uh, yeah. Our lacrosse team was better in college for sure. Okay. Yeah. On the Northeast, I mean, that's the point of problem. You guys probably, you guys probably have that bond, man. Being being from up in the same area is that, uh, yeah. is that, uh, you know, you guys probably all go to talk about a lot of the same places, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah. yeah, there's some, there's some familiarity there for sure, you know. And if I can, if I can offer some kind of unsolicited praise of of Sam there, and it's a good transition showing him, um, you know, playing at Bates. The thing that that really allowed Sam to integrate into into our process, right, was that he he had the technical background, but you could also speak football to Sam. And whether or not, you know, his his knowledge of the offense or whatever is, yeah, it, it's it's not to the level as maybe mine is or Brian Callahan's, or, but you can have a conversation with Sam and he, he knew what I was asking for. I didn't have to spend 15 minutes explaining what the words were that I was saying to him and then ask for what I wanted and then have him have it have him fail five times before he got me what I actually needed. It was very quick. And so that's that's where like having somebody in that role that that understands the machinery of the analytics, but also can talk football uh, is invaluable. And that's really what Sam brought to the table. And so that's that's why he's been such a, a big asset, I think. And it's a credit to, you know, just his background um, and then him being able to kind of come in and, and contribute right away. That's something that, that Pitch and I talked about a lot early on. And to this day, really, is when I when I talk to you about it, it's about bridging the gap between the two, the two worlds, right? Like, I'm never going to understand, like he said, football to the level that <laughs> – quarterbacks, coaches, offensive coordinators, head coach do, right? And they're never going to understand the back end of the data stuff that to the level that I do, right? But the more, I don't know, the more conversations we have and the more we can bridge that gap where I have an understanding of what's going on with them and they have an understanding of what we have access to can allow each group to sort of anticipate things coming down the road, right? He can come up with ideas and be like, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm having this pain point. That's something that I know that Sam has access to, like he could help me answer this question or solve this problem that I'm having and vice versa, right? Like I can see, watch them go through meetings and practice and all that stuff and be like, oh, like I have access to this. Like this could be, I could put this together, run this report, build this tool that that that, that would really be helpful for them because I understand their process and understand sort of where their pain points could come. I mean, you talk about how often during, let's just say a game week, Sam, are you, are you approached by or are you offering something with coaches? I know you guys obviously have meetings and, and that, that are planned, but how much does some of the – I don't know if off script is the right word. The stuff that you guys are just talking about on through on the fly, Do you? how much of that goes before with you with coaches, whether it be Dan or anybody on, yeah. on, on the staff about some issue? Frequently, a couple yeah. times a day usually. Um, yeah. Obviously, it slows down as the week goes on. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, my, my office is down on the coach's floor with them. So there's people stopping by asking for thir- certain things and it varies based on the opponent. But yeah, it's, it's pretty much every day. Do you, I mean, how much of that is, you know, something that happens, um, you know, where you're like just trying to solve a problem specifically, and I don't want to put you on the spot with an example necessarily, but do you have any that stick out for you where it was like where you guys came and solved a problem last year in, in, in something for a game where you were like, man, that really, that was great how that, how that worked out. I don't know if there's examples like that. There are, there's so many, it's hard to track them. Um, not necessarily solving a problem here, but the one that I always think back to is that Miami game in 2019 
where you look back on sort of the comeback that we, that we almost pulled together. Um, and it, I don't know, from an outsider's point of view, seems sort of extraordinary. And it was great execution by the players and that we were able to, to put ourselves in that position after digging ourselves in that big of a hole. Um, but up in the booth with pitch and sort of how we communicated all the game, like the situational stuff, it, it felt totally normal because we had gone through that stuff hundreds of times. So it's mm-hmm. just like, hey, we knew what to do, suggested it, and we and happy that it all worked out except for the final outcome of the game. But it sort of felt normal because we had gone through it so many times. I'm sure there's a lot of Bengals fans out there that were happy with the final outcome. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, Pitch, you might be. Uh, you know, in the, in, in the long run, it worked itself out, didn't it? I, can I ask – I want to ask you about that real quick, Pitch. You're, you know, you, you're around, you, you, people may not realize this. You were a scout with the Colts. I mean, you were in player personnel with the Colts for four years, right? And, and before coming over here in 16 and did you think you would, that you would be a, a scout or do player personnel? Or did you always, like you said, teach the game? Did you always see that as just a means to ending up in a situation where you could, you know, your first quarterback coach job could be coaching the number one overall draft pick. I wouldn't say that I foresaw that exact scenario, uh, <laughs> but I, I definitely foresaw uh, coaching. And I knew when I took the job uh, in, in personnel in Indianapolis that that my ultimate goal was to be a coach. Now I was I was open, or I tried to be as open as possible to to a um, you know a career on that side if it presented itself, and if you know, so I didn't. I wasn't like, hey, I'm I this is not something I want to do. And this is a pain in the, you know, pain in the butt to do. And, and no, I, I went in there and I was like, I'm going to embrace this role. I'm going to do exactly what they asked me to do. I'm going to learn as much as I can. And hopefully by working really hard, uh, I'll have, a, have an opportunity at some point to transition back into coaching. Um, but, you know, I, I, I really, I feel like dove into that role and personnel and, and learned all sorts of things that I never would have learned otherwise. And so as I sit back now with, with a decade of hindsight, um, I'm really happy I did that. At the time, it felt like uh, kind of taking the scenic route to get to where I ultimately wanted to go. But at the end of the day, like Sam, it was an opportunity to get into the NFL at 25 years old. And mm-hmm. to me, that trumped everything else. And so I'll do whatever the hell you want me to do. And I'll just work really hard. And hopefully enough people notice that. And then I can try to craft my career the way I'd like to do it. Uh, but it was, it was a great experience. And I, I learned a lot. One really, here's the thing pitch. I mean, you know, this, you couldn't have come to a better organization for that as a background on your skill set, where they have more crossover between coaching and player personnel and scouting here than anywhere else in the league. And I imagine, I don't know, I'm not going to speak for you. I imagine you probably feel like that's benefited you over recent years as that's been a big part of your off season job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it was, and, and I don't know, you know, you'd, you'd have to ask ask Coach Lewis and, uh, you know, Coach Zampezi, who was the OC at the time, and and, and the people upstairs that, that have a, a hand in those decisions, whether or not that helped me get this job. It certainly, I can't imagine it hurt um, knowing that I had that background. And it has definitely helped uh, because it is a big part of what we do. And, and coaches around the league are all involved in that to some extent. But um you know, we, we have a big, you know, hand in that here. And that's a great thing. That's, that's, you know, sometimes you can hear or read and that's kind of viewed in a negative light. I don't see it that way at all. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, getting an opportunity to, 
to you know study the players and and have have a say have somebody ask you your opinion in that process um i would never want to give that up and so you know i think that experience in indianapolis helped me to do that part of my job uh, much better than i otherwise could have is there another timeline pitch where you are at lsu uh because right the story is that did Ryan Griggson call and say, you're yeah. not going to go talk to Les Miles. You're yeah. going to come here and work for me in <laughs> Indianapolis where you actually, maybe, maybe you were at LSU when Burrow shows up. There's like some separate timeline yeah. that exists there. That would have been, yeah, I would have had, I would have had to have been there for a long time. Um, right. But yeah, that was, that was a realistic, you know, potential spot. Uh, it was, it was Rutgers. I kind of had a job that was, waiting for me in a, in a QC type role. And then I was going to go interview for uh, that position you just referenced at LSU. And, you know, if the Indianapolis thing didn't come up exactly when it came up, there's a, there's a strong possibility. That's where I would end it up. Uh, but, you know, I'm happy things went the way they did. All right, let's just take a quick break. How much did that role in scouting lead to you picking Sam to, to catch passes from Burrow and pregame warmups. <laughs> uh, the, the, the main thing that led to that is just looking around and saying, okay, who, who's standing around can help me. I'll get anybody they can help. And even though Sam played defense and I'll, I'll, I'll say this, I, I offered some unsolicited praise of Sam before, and I'll offer a little bit more is that he, he has gotten exponentially better in that exponentially than he did when he began because because there was a couple there were there were some early early practices where I thought like we were gonna we we, we might have had to fire him from that role. Yeah. But, uh, he he grew and he put the work in and now he's I mean every once in a while you still see the the defensive back in him but he's yeah. a lot better than he was I think it was after one of the, the first or second day you're leaving, you're walking by my office and you're just like, all right, tomorrow's a new day. And I was like, <laughs> I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was Pat in the back bad. Now, what is, uh, what is the, uh, who's winning the drop rate stat between Sam and Trunk? Do we know Trunk who uh, is, is in equipment and he's always out yeah. there forced to run a lot of routes. He might <laughs> yeah, have some you know, more routes on Sam. You know, actually Sam probably has, Sam probably has got more targets over the last three years than Trunk. <laughs> Trunk kind of varies. Sometimes he's snapping the ball. Sometimes he's catching the ball. I'm usually yelling at him for something all in good nature. <laughs> we love Trunk. Trunk works his ass off and, and uh, he helps us big time. But, uh, but uh, I would say, uh, Trunks probably put a couple more on the ground recently than Sam has. Wow! But is there a most improved uh, catcher award? Do you have a trophy? Do they give you? Do they give anything for most most improved uh, <laughs> at, at catching burrow balls? We haven't given him anything other than grief. So yeah. <laughs> no, I realized. I think the, this really all got spurned on by COVID, and there's just like less people around on the field. Yeah. And so I went out there, and you realize quickly. I think the first time I went out there was. Towards the middle to end of the 2020 season, so it's starting to get cold, and I just go out there, no gloves, and you quickly realize that the only thing between your face and that ball is your ability to catch. <laughs> and so I ran in the equipment room shortly thereafter, and I was like, "Trunk, I need a pair of gloves, and I'm going to need to figure this out." <laughs> you said uh, you weren't intimidated jumping into the analytics uh, at such a young age. Was that intimidating to be asked to to warm up the the face yeah. of the franchise? A little bit, yeah, for sure. But I don't know. You, you just figure it out day by yeah. day. 
<laughs> there you go. That's I mean, it's kind of the uh, model for a lot of stuff, right? You just sit down and figure it out. I love it. I want to ask you one one little follow up on some of the, the you were talking about the offseason and your scouting background pitch. Sam, how, how involved do you end up getting into the draft process and evaluation there on the Atlantic's analytics side? Is that something that that you're doing a lot of stuff there or do you focus more on in-season type of projects this during that um, time of year? With the way the schedule plays out, I don't get a lot of the scouting stuff happens during the summer and then obviously in season you're busy. And then when the season ends, you turn back there. Um, but the one person who, who I work with a lot up there, I mean, obviously you're in communication with the scouts and what you need and what's important and stuff like that. But Tyler Gross, who's our uh, sort of web developer up there, who I try and mention every time we have a podcast because or I'm on a podcast or talking to someone because they always say it's a one man analytics team. But with the description that a lot of people use throughout the NFL, I think he fits that category and he builds out our whole scouting system. So each year we sort of recap after the draft as to, hey, what what did we do that worked well? What did we do that that wasn't very useful? And I work with him to sort of tee it up and he builds it in whatever was useful into our scouting system. And then we plan for for what we're going to do the next season. Um, so it's probably not as much time as I spend on coaching that I do on scouting um, just because of the way the schedule works out. But but we sort of meet every year to try and figure out uh, what's what we want to do next. You put analytics in any other aspect of your life? What's that? Do you put analytics into any other aspect of your life? Is it hard to get away from the math and just breaking yeah, it's everything? Kind of the, it's kind of the way my brain works. It's sort of always, I don't know, always how it's been. I've been better at math and stuff like that than I have been at, at, at writing in, in English and all that. Uh, you end up in the Super Bowl. First of all, congratulations, Pitch. You have a, a young baby who was born. How long after the Super Bowl was it? Days? Hours? Uh, he came... I think it ended up being like eight days. Eight days. But, but he was a little. He was he was a couple of days after the due date. So you know, my wife couldn't travel out there. She was thirty nine and a half weeks pregnant, and I was in LA for a week. So that was that was a little bit uh, nerve wracking. But it all worked. It all worked out. He's ha- healthy, happy baby, and we couldn't be uh, we couldn't be prouder. We couldn't be more excited to be parents. Yeah, shout out Marissa on that one. That is yeah. a uh, that, <laughs> yeah, she, that she, is a he, heavy time. lift to say the to For say sure. the least. But uh, how did you have to have? I call it the Stanford Jennings discussion around here, which Stanford Jennings famously ran back the kickoff in Super Bowl twenty three for the Bengals the day after his daughter Kelsey was born, uh, because his wife said, "You are playing in that Super Bowl. I don't care when we have that kid. You will not be there. You're playing." Did you guys have? Did you have to have the will I won't I? discussion and and uh i mean we danced around it you know it was one of those things uh i was just hoping and praying was not going to be uh that hard decision that you had to make and thankfully you know the little man uh held out for us i knew going out there after the doctor's appointments that it was it was looking like he was gonna he was gonna wait so that kind of put me at ease a little bit but uh Thank God I didn't have to make that decision. Yeah, good good yeah. on him doing you a solid yeah, already. You know, that's good. I, I, I want to ask you about the Super Bowl and say, I mean, I can only imagine you guys talk for two weeks. I mean, you probably overanalyzing everything probably you're in your head. And wouldn't you know it, first drive, fourth and one from yeah. the 49. Like, Sam, I'm, I'm sure that was an easy one because you guys, I'm sure, had talked through like you had been saying earlier. It's just we've talked through it. We know it. But are you thinking like you got to be kidding me? First drive right away. Here we are, fourth and one from the forty-nine. 
Yeah, it crosses your mind, but a lot of my job uh, in game day situations just be very matter of fact about it, right? Don't don't let emotion or the moment change sort of what you've talked through already and what the plan is. So it's kind of just same as it was any game. It's just hey, communicated, hey, fourth in this or less, we're going to go for it. Um, sort of hear his hear Zach's response, hear how everyone feels about it, and make the decision from there. You were not told to shut up on that one. I assume. I was not. No. No. <laughs> so, so that discussion comes on third down, right? Uh, he started and- started around second down, right? Second so down. just to sort of set the table for, um, hey, here's what this set of downs looks like. Let me ask both of you guys this. We've been asking almost everybody this question: Do you have a most memorable play or moment from the Super Bowl? It can be positive, negative, indifferent. Do you have a most memorable play pitch from from the Super Bowl? Um, probably the the first play of the second half, um, the the long completion to T. You know, because that was, you know, you're sitting in the locker room for what feels like an eternity, and um, you know, you talk through, hey, this this is what could happen on this first snap. These are the coaching points, you know, and then to have it work out, and boom, right there you know, now all the momentum's on your side and then followed very quickly by, you know, I think Cheeto had the pick right after that, you know, like that was, that was, a, that was a really, um, you know, you got the juices going there, um, you know, and then I'll, you know, I'll obviously extremely disappointed with how it, how it ended up. And, um, but that, that one sticks out to me from a positive standpoint of like, all right, we can, this is our game. You know, this is the tides have turned in our favor and, and we're going to win this thing. And it really felt that way till the very end. Um, and that's that's the kind of team we have. That's the quarterback we have. You know, even even until even even after Cup catches the ball to go ahead, you know, Joe and I just had a super quick conversation on the sideline. It's like, you know, somebody had given you the, the, the opportunity to sign up for a two minute drill to win the Super Bowl eight months ago. What would you have mm-hmm. said? Yes or no. And. Everybody knows the answer to that question. So, yeah, you know, but uh, that's what you said to him at that point. We just, yeah, something. What along, you guys said something to that something nature. along those lines. Just try to frame it. I mean, and I, I didn't need to say that to him. Right. He's, he's, he's the toughest guy mentally I've ever been around. He's the most confident person I've ever been around. So he doesn't need to hear that from me. But sometimes it just helps to try to reframe your thought process in a moment like that. And you know. Still felt up until up until that last ball hit the ground, I thought we were winning the game. What about you, Sam? Is there one that still sticks with you and you think about from time to time? Yeah, I mean that's it's a perfect lead-in from there. It's when they had the ball goal to go. It's kind of just understanding the clock, understanding what we need to do to give ourselves a chance. And even they score that touchdown and they take the lead with with under two minutes in the Super Bowl, and it's just business as usual. It's communicate to Zach, hey, here's how much time we've got. We've got this many timeouts. We got to go score a touchdown, and that's, that's what we've done all year. Um, two minute drives into half and game, whatever it is, it's that's what what we've thrived on. I think that's what separated us from a lot of teams throughout throughout the season, and that was business as usual for us. And in, like pitch up until that last ball hit the ground, that's exactly how I thought it was going to go. I thought we were going to go down the field, score, take the lead with as little time left as possible, and I thought we were going to win it. Pitch, I, I, I know I never want to. I'm not. This isn't rubbing salt in the wounds, but I think about. I think about this from time to time. It, the, the last play, and and Burrow said he, he sent Jamar on the go ball, 
And I just have to think about, you talked about him being the most confident person you've ever been on. The amount of swag and confidence it takes on fourth and one in the Super Bowl to be willing to say, you know what, I I might throw this ball. It would go down as one, it could have gone down as one of the most legendary calls, throws, what could have been. And I know that's like a what could have, should have been. But I think that sort of speaks to the mentality we saw of him all year long in those big moments, whether it was fourth in an eyelash against Minnesota in the opener, all the way back to that, where throwing it, throwing it down the field because that was the read, or you know, or or plays in the, coming back against Jacksonville. It's like there is no moment where he's not willing to take that. The, the most if the aggressive shot is the call the aggressive shot is what he's willing to do and I just think you can speak to that as good as anybody in the world that mentality that it takes to even be willing to do that and think of the game that way I guess just separates him right no there's no doubt I mean he's it's confidence it's it's what it is it's it's wanting to be the guy that has the ball in that situation and a lot of guys say that because they know that that's what they should say and that's what people want to hear and that's who you want to have as your quarterback, but there's, there's very few guys that truly to their core, that's who they are. And that's who Joe is. And, and he came to us that way, you know, and he's grown since he's been here. There's no doubt about it. Um, But, you know, somewhere along the line, Joe Burrow became that way. Credit to his parents and his coaches when he was younger and, and most, mostly to him because that's who he is um, and, and we're lucky to have him. And so, you know, however long I'm coaching him, I, I will have confidence that he is going to make the play regardless of the circumstance. And we all know that it's not going to happen hundred percent of the time, but um, I wouldn't trade him for anybody. Yeah. It makes, makes aggressive fourth down calls pretty easy when you know you got that guy out there, right? It, it gives you a little confidence looking down and seeing number nine out there. He, I imagine, I don't, I don't know this at all. Is he really interested in some of the game management analytics side of football? Seems like he would be, though, as you know, as a as a chess guy and a football nerd and all the things that he's been his whole life. Does he does he go into that stuff with you guys sometimes? A lot, not at all. We we talk about it um, in our room because with every situation that we have to prepare the team for, and there's a whole laundry list of them that occur in end of game and end of half situations. The most important person in almost all of those is the quarterback. So we talk about it from how, what do we have to do to execute in those situations? And we have, and they have to have a better understanding of the time and the timeouts and the score than anybody else. And so it's part of our job to talk about that. Uh, But I also do think that he, he has an interest in those things outside of just his job as the quarterback. Um, but one thing I'll say about Joe is he's, he's very, um, you know, Joe trusts the people around him. He knows everybody has a job to do and he knows that, you know, when we make those decisions and, and, and he knows that they're well thought out and that there's a process that is involved and they're not just, we're not just shooting from the hip. Um, and so he doesn't, he's not, it's not like a, Hey, why do we do that? You know, it's uh, we might talk about why we did it, but he knows that that there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time to make the best decisions that we think we can make in those spots. Well, guys, I I can't tell you how much I have appreciated this conversation and enjoyed it. It's been uh, fun and informative, and I'm I'm obsessed with uh, this world uh, of of 
the way the game is approached now. And uh, you guys have obviously done a heck of a job uh, with it. And and watching it have come together the last couple of years has been fun. And, uh, you know, congratulations on all the success that you guys have had. And uh, we'll have to we'll revisit this again after the next Super Bowl. Right. Like that, we'll, uh, we'll come back and we'll break down all those plays and decisions, too. And 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 how less you're getting told to shut up or dropping balls anymore. So I, mean, I feel like the evolution of this is great. You know, it's like it's about it's, it, the continued improvement. There we go. Thanks, guys. Appreciate yeah. your time. Thank you Thank so you. much for coming Thank on. You. All right. Much thanks again to uh, Sam Francis and Dan Pitcher for for joining us. Man, it was fun. I, I I mean it. Like I feel I really could sit down and talk with them for hours about you know that time they where they spent watching every single game and coming up and and kind of building the foundation of. Bengals analytics. I I find that stuff fascinating, and and um, I I look forward to you know maybe in the future trying to tap back into that because that was just a great conversation with with two really sharp dudes. I mean, it's amazing to think that anyone would even do that, but you're right. I'm I'm fascinated by how, how they did it and and how they broke it down, what you do with the data and. Um, it's, I, I can't imagine as much as, you know, people love their jobs and they love football. That's, that's a tedious task. I mean, yeah, you know, it's going to pay off in the long run, but geez, to watch uh, a two and 13 team against a six and nine team, in the final two minutes of that game, um, that's commitment. It's, it's impressive that they did that. Well, yeah, and you know, and and like we said, I mean, there's so many teams across the league that have ten, twenty, however many, you know, mm-hmm. analytics staffers, and I mean, and they're just now, I, you know, I'm glad that he was mentioning other people that that do help out, but I mean, those they're doing a lot of work that you know, many two, three, four, five, six times as many people are are doing, we're doing uh, at at other teams, and and seeing it pay off for them being one of the best situational teams in football last year, and that's just a kudos to the work that they did. Great, really fun insight, and and you know, uh, created sort of a, a different look at relationships and how they paid off, and and ways that they affect winning. And so uh, now we're going to move into we're going to kind of flip over to the other side of the ball, and and I think there's another relationship on this staff that um, is interesting. That's one of, you know, quality control coaches and position coaches. They rely so much on each other. And I don't know that people really have a total idea of what that even means or what all that entails. Um, But we're going to have Jordan Kovacs, who has been a quality controls coach, is an assistant linebackers coach um, now, and safeties coach Rob Livingston, who have become uh, really good friends, come on and, and talk about, they both have really unique backstories, really unique paths, and uh, you know, a relationships that that have helped really helped form a little bit of the uh, the identity or part of the foundation uh, of that defense last year that played such a big role in the Bengals going to the Super Bowl. Excited about that one. Yeah, I mean, you you talk about their backgrounds; it it sort of parallels the way this Bengals team was built from the ground up. I mean, both of those guys, not a lot of scholarship offers, <laughs> Jordan walks on at Michigan and ends up being the MVP uh, undrafted free agent and plays in the league for three years uh, and then comes into uh, Bengals staff as a quality control and now he's he's coaching a position he's he like Dan pitcher is a, a rising coach in this league um, you could you you could see him 
eventually, he's still very young, uh, working his way up into a, a possible coordinator position or beyond. And they're they're both they've got such great stories about how this defense came together and about how they individually uh, first met and and have worked hand in hand to to really turn an underrated, overlooked defense into a force. Yeah, there's no doubt. And you mentioned, like Dan Pitcher, Rob Livingston coming from a scouting background as well, mm-hmm. who came on originally to the Bengals after he was at Vanderbilt um, as as a scout for you know in the Southeast, ACC, SEC territory, I mean, prime scouting territory during years that the Bengals drafted their ass off, quite frankly, and, and played a big role in that. And then what played a big role in the decision to, you know, when they knew they wanted to draft a safety in 2018 in helping find Jesse Bates and seeing how he would be the perfect skill set. And you kind of see that crossover of, the do everything mentality of a lot of these Bengals position coaches um, that we kind of talked about there with Dan a little bit. Rob, another great example of that and another rising coach in this league and really excited to bring uh, those two guys on uh, for our next episode of two on two. That will be coming next week. Uh, again, thanks everybody that has listened. If you are watched on our new YouTube channel, if you get a chance, subscribe, uh, give us a rating, all that great stuff. We're just uh, so happy to uh, have gotten that started. And I think it's, it's adding, a lot specifically with these conversations to what we're doing so we will pick that up again next week thanks everybody for listening and we'll we'll talk to you next time i hear that podcast growling have a good one everybody